talking about dispelling the myths of black entrepreneurship. We live in a society, right, where you think money is the biggest currency. Well, no, attention is the biggest currency. I understand my history. I understand, you know, everything behind being black. I am a part of that culture. I am relentlessly 100% black. Dave and welcome once again to the Accomplice Podcast. I am your host, the other brother, and this week we've got a great show for you. We are talking about dispelling the myths of black entrepreneurship, and my guest today is going to be none other than entrepreneur and just all around just business guru, Malcolm Coley. Uh, just a little intro for those that may not know this, this gentleman. Let me tell you, if you don't know him now, you soon will. Uh, he is an expert in transforming AHA, consumer insights into visionary brand building, positioning and innovation work across beauty, consumer goods, and retail. He's a graduate of Seton Hall University with a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry of all things. Uh, Malcolm believes in the intimate understanding of qualitative research as well as the sheer power and reach of quantitative measurement. Now, in 2012, Malcolm founded Lock Nation, a support and celebration of the natural hair movement with a focus on locks. That movement has collectively amassed over, get this, 250,000 followers. 250,000, a quarter million, for those of you that can't count. Uh, 250,000 so social media followers on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Lock Nation also uh, has a hair salon in Newcastle, Delaware. Now, if that wasn't enough, Malcolm is also a uh, cooperator uh, with the Win Factory. The Win Factory is a co-working space focused on the growth of black and brown entrepreneurship and small business. The Win Factory is also a place where entrepreneurs share ideas and scale their businesses. And last but not least, he is also the Chief Technology Officer for Futures First Gaming, a STEM accredited company where Future, Futures First begins with gaming. We're going to talk about this, but Futures First Gaming focuses on high and low level competitive gaming while showcasing opportunities in STEM and entrepreneurship. So please welcome to the show, Malcolm Coley. What's up, gang? How y'all feeling? So, uh, Fred, you know, um, we, we've had several conversations now uh, about uh, you, your background, uh, whatnot, but for, uh, the folks, you know, meeting you for the first time through the accomplice podcast, I really want to talk about uh, a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur, as a business person. Um, you know, the, the fact that you have not one, but, but three, I would say fairly time consuming. I think that's a fair statement from what you've explained to me fairly time-consuming uh, businesses. You, you're a busy guy. And uh, I want to talk about what we're going to talk a little bit about Lock Nation and Futures First Gaming. Um, so tell me a little bit about your journey, starting with uh, the founding of Lock Nation and then how that evolved into other ventures, specifically Futures First Gaming. Um, man, thank you guys uh, for having me on the podcast today. I really appreciate you guys, you know, reaching out to me and allowing me to be on your platform. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys without that small piece of time that 
uh, I created Lock Nation, you know, uh, back in 20. So I graduated from Seton Hall with a chemistry degree and I had high hopes on working with the environment, right? Uh, fast forward to 2012, I was working at a formulation, formulation, uh, I was doing formulations chemistry at a company called Siemens in uh, down here in Delaware. And what I was doing at that company was uh, I was creating the substance that you inject inside the body, or I was formulating rather the substance that you inject into the body so that uh, the body won't reject the organ when the organs get transplanted into the body. So one day, I had one that was dealing, I had been there for some time now. So I had one that was dealing with the heart. Somebody getting a heart transplant. Long story short, man, I, oh boy, I messed it up bad. I, I really messed it up bad. Um, Cause you know, in chemistry, a little bit is a lot of it. So um, anyway, I was about to get fired. I knew I was, I knew it was coming. And uh, at that time I created the Facebook page Lock Nation. And after I got fired and in, the, in between that time that I was actually looking for work, I was literally every single day for a couple hours, every single day trying to figure out how can I get people to engage with the stuff that I'm posting on Facebook. So every day I was posting in Facebook groups. I was just on Facebook, talking to people, sending messages. Um, I was doing that. And even after I did get some work, I started working at Apple maybe about six months later. Uh, I was I continued to do it. I just kept going and kept going and kept going. Uh, that was my introduction into digital media marketing. Um, what really introduced me into digital media marketing and what really showed me that this was a thing was when uh, I think at the time we maybe had about 10,000 followers on Facebook and maybe about 14,000 on Instagram. Um, and this was probably about... Um, maybe around 2014-ish, maybe, somebody had asked me to make a post on my page and they'll give me $350. And I said, oh shit, this is a real thing. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and um, yeah, let's move forward. So that was when I really truly realized that digital media marketing was a thing and that I had acquired a skill um, while I was you know, in the midst of actually working. And so um, social media marketing, uh, we, we hear this all the time. As I said in the in the bio uh, to introduce you, a quarter of a million followers through Lock Nation. Uh, I know that that I think everybody has a basic understanding of the importance of social media. But talk to me a little bit about as a business person, as an entrepreneur. I know that when it comes to social media, and I mentioned uh, the platforms that we we know the the main ones that we're all familiar with, like Facebook and Twitter and even Instagram. But TikTok, I mean, that's obviously a bit newer. Uh, seems like one of those, you know, the kids are on it kind of platforms. However, you've been leveraging that for, for your businesses. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, because I know you do not play when it comes to social media, man. You're just really all over it, but it's strategic. Talk to me a little bit about the strategy behind your social media marketing and how you have gone from like you said, uh, just a few years ago, maybe ten to 14,000 or so, to now a quarter of a million followers. How have you done that and, and why has that been so impactful to your uh, business development? Oh, so interesting. Uh, um, this, this question is just very interesting, right? Where we live in a society, right, where you think money is the biggest currency. Well, no. Attention is the biggest currency, right? So the more that you can obtain 
people's attention um, through the through the multiple free distribution platforms that we have, which we call social media, right? Um, you'll be in a position to build your brand or build your business or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And TikTok, it's, it's interesting because my daughter used to tell me, she was like, dad, you should get on this thing called Musical.ly. So it was Musical.ly maybe about three, four years ago. And uh, my daughter was like, man, get, come on, dad, get on it. And I was just like, no, I'm cool, right? Then um, Musical.ly was acquired by TikTok, TikTok a couple of years ago. And TikTok is a platform where you literally, it's a short form video where you replicate uh, trends or sounds or uh, things that are going on uh, inside of the platform. So if you utilize it the right way, it could be very beneficial. And it has a lot of organic growth right now, such as um, that and LinkedIn as well. But uh, I've been able to leverage uh, TikTok uh, in my mind, I want you to see me 27 times a day. So in order for you to see me 27 times a day, I have to be absolutely everywhere all the time. So that means I need to be on, and I'm a content, I'm a content fanatic, right? So it's easy for me to curate content on these platforms. And it's easy for me to understand the trends and who's on these platforms and the analytics and the intent behind being on these platforms, right? That's the big thing about it, right? If you're just on these platforms, just to be on these platforms, which is fine. But for me, I have intention. The more influence that you have, the cheaper your lifestyle. So the more that I gain influence, the more that I capture the attention of the people on these several different platforms, the more that I could be in the position to monetize whatever brand or whatever business or whatever partnership that I'm a part of. Why? Because people are paying attention to me. They want to know what I'm doing. They want to know what I'm into. And they want to know what's trending within Malcolm's world. So um, social media is a huge thing for any business, for any brand. And I recommend anybody to be doing it every single day. So are you listening, folks? You heard it right there from the man who has 250,000 followers. Okay, TikTok is key. But not only that, intent. I heard the word intent uh, in, in what you said, that, that you're very uh, intentional about how you use social media, when, where, what you're, you're placing on social media. This isn't just uh, vacation pics and, and uh, what you're eating for dinner. This is all about making sure that, as you said, people see you 27 times a day, right? Mm -hmm. So so that is, is making an impact. Um, Folks, you're listening to the Accomplice Podcast. I'm your host, The Other Brother. It's time for our song of the week with the ambassador. We're going to take you now to East York. That's right, right here in Toronto to my main man. It's time for the song of the week. Ambassador, what do you got for us this week, man? All right, all right. So I'm going to play something like this. Hold on. Fighting a brother for no reason, you're just fighting a brother. Soon as he make progress, you get vexed, and you walk up your wing and stifle a brother. Now, you never give me food, so I learn how to fish. So, why must I lose for you to win? With all due respect, Bridget, you're missing. Whoa, I don't know. So as you guys know, anytime I play a track, there's a story behind it. So first of all, this is called Honest Dollar by The Voice. Our origin is Trinidad, and this is once again a Soka song. So I took us back to Soka. The song was released in 2020 for Trinidad's Carnival. 
as I discussed in a previous podcast, Soka evolved out of Trinidad and Tobago, and it has spread out throughout the Caribbean, different influences, including Afro-Caribbean and Indo-Caribbean influences. Now, one of the big reasons why I picked this particular song as it relates to the topic of Black entrepreneurship, he's speaking about generating an honest dollar and how, when he's doing it, different individuals, sometimes in his own community or sometimes around, will create a bit of borders or trade strife as he's trying to basically push. And what he's saying is, look, there's all this money out there. There's room for all of us. If we're going out there to make an honest dollar, let's work together and let's build, which is the ideas behind Black entrepreneurship. Let's build together and let's work. So that's my song of the week. Right on. That is the ambassador, our in-house DJ and music director, and he brings it to you each and every week. Uh, make sure you follow him on IG at theambassador0606. That's right. For all my alpha brothers in the house. Um, but this is the Accomplice Podcast. I'm your host, the other brother, and we are talking to my guest, Malcolm Coley. Dispelling the myths about black entrepreneurship. Malcolm, once again, is a, a really busy entrepreneur. He's got multiple companies, including Lock Nation, Futures First Gaming, uh, and many other ventures that I know he's got his hands into. But uh, Malcolm, I want to get into a, a little bit deeper discussion now uh, in terms of this conversation, uh, specifically about dispelling myths about black entrepreneurship. And, and I'm going to start here. Uh, I think that for some people that there is a notion out there that if you market your company as a black owned business, that it will end up hurting your bottom line, that, that there are people both within and without outside of the black community uh, that will avoid your company. Uh, and so some people maybe are trying to do various things like, like change the name, uh, not use certain type of marketing, uh, you know, strategy or imagery and things like this. Talk to me about, you know, is is marketing your company as a black-owned business will it hurt your bottom line, or is there maybe actually some benefit to it? Cool, interesting question. Um, I, and I, I've had conversations around this specific topic, and me personally, I can't tell you yes or I can't tell you no, right? Because for us and my businesses, uh, specifically my gaming company and also Lock Nation, right? Though those platforms were created in order to um, increase the uh, imagery of black and brown people in certain industries, right? So to that point, there are, especially in the society that we live in right now, right? Um, there are a lot of big corporations who are trying to get behind this whole, uh, well, not this whole, I don't want to minimize it at all, um, but behind the Black Lives Matter wave, and they want to get behind, you know, diversity, uh, what they call diversity and inclusion, right? They want to get behind a lot of these bigger ideals because it looks good for their company, right? But at the end of the day, um, I, I am still just a gaming company, whether I'm black owned or not. And if my impact is and my mission is doing what it said it's supposed to do, then it shouldn't matter if I am black owned or not. You know, people should be in a port, in a position to support it anyway. If it's especially if the mission is tight and um, like I said, I'm doing what it is that I'm supposed to do. Um, people should definitely want to support. And I, I, like I said, I'm on the fence about 
you know, the whole no shit, the whole misnomer of, you know, black owned businesses, because that's exactly what I am, a black owned a business. And I find a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I find a lot of power and strength of being a black owned business. And I love to, you know, relish that in my, within my community with other black owned businesses. Why? Because you know how they say, um, uh, the black buying power is 1.4 or another trillion dollars, right? So I know being in a space where being a black owned business, if I just relied on my community, I would do very, very, very well, right? But also we want to be in a space where we understand that we have allies and um, like such as yourself, Alex, like you are ally, right? So we also want, always wanna be in a, in a position to um, be strong within our own culture and community, but also be accepting of the people who are, are our allies and want to help us reach the missions that we want to reach as well. So um, I'm on the fence with that one. I'm really on the fence with that one. I can't tell you yes, I can't tell you no, but I am leaning more towards no, because we just live in a, in a, in a society where that's, that's the thing and it will continue to be the, the thing for quite some time. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, uh, you know, the whole idea about, about allies and whatnot. I, I, that's why I, I created the podcast and, and, and call it The Accomplice, because I, I tend to think that, and we've had some discussions on previous shows in and around that concept, man, so I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, it's not enough just to be an ally. I, I, and, and this is my own semantics, I suppose, but I look at it as an ally as sort of somebody on the sideline cheering you on and I hope, you know, things go well for you, but an accomplice is, is in, in the fight. So um, with that said, let's talk about this uh, aspect of the, the concept of marketing your business as a black owned business. So you mentioned Futures First Gaming, which as you said, it, it's a gaming company and, it, and, and regardless of ethnicity, uh, the, the mission is, or the, the, the product and service, I guess, more importantly in that sense, uh, is the same, regardless of, of the community that you are, are marketing to uh, and, and, and uh, who's going to be your, your customer or uh, a buyer or whatnot. But now let's look at Lock Nation. A um, little bit different type of business. And not that there aren't folks out there uh, that, that are not of the African diaspora that, that are you know doing locks and things like that, uh, but for the most part, I think the perception would be that it's predominantly people of uh, the African diaspora that are doing locks with their hair. So is there a perception there, uh, as I mentioned before, maybe within the black community at times that if it's a black owned company, uh, there may be some downside to, to marketing as such. I personally have not had an issue. Um, and I'm not saying that any other black owned business uh, hasn't had their issues. But for me, because I'm so open and transparent about my mission and about what it is that I'm doing, um, I don't have any issues. Um, I Previously, at before I was at this point that I'm at that I'm at now, and sometimes I still I, I still uh, talk about it, and I still try to figure out what it is that I need to do and how I need to be around this. But um, I want to be 100% authentically me at all times, right? I am a black man from the state, the great state of New Jersey, right? So, with that being said, 
Um, I understand what it is to be a part of a part of um, my culture that I am. I understand my history. I understand, you know, everything behind being black. I am a part of that culture. So I am a 100% relentless about that. Right. And I think because I am 100% relentless about that, that makes my, my marketing and my that makes my attention that much more clear. And, and my attention comes through my marketing. So these platforms that I have, Futures First Gaming and Lock Nation, um, my attention is very clear. And because my attention is very clear, because I am relentlessly 100% Black, it helps my marketing to the specific um, demographic that I'm trying to reach at all times. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Accomplice Podcast and my guest, Malcolm Coley. Uh, with Lock Nation and Futures First Gaming. We're talking about dispelling the myths of black entrepreneurship. Uh, Malcolm, so let's let's uh, go into another aspect of this, and another sort of uh, stereotype, I think, or generalization that, that often comes up and I think kind of coincides with some of the, the negative things that we off, too often see in, in the media, social media even. Um, and, and I think hurts, in my opinion, uh, black entrepreneurs at times. Um, but that is the, the notion that black owned businesses uh, lack customer service and professionalism. What do you say to that? Man, I, I man, I hate, I, I, I absolutely hate, I hate, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So, um, I'm trying not to cuss because this makes me passionate. This this particular topic makes me passionate, right? Um, so outside of um, outside of all the things that I have going on, we have a Facebook group. Me and my partners, we have a Facebook group on. Uh, we have a Facebook group that has thirty one thousand Black entrepreneurs in it, right? And it's called Spending Black Matters. And one of the things, one of the ideas and concepts that I see on. Uh, within Spending Black Matters is that, yo, uh, uh, this is why I can't do business with other Black people because of X, Y, Z, Z, Y, X. And we have to be intentional about breaking that stereotype. And I, I really am very passionate about breaking that stereotype because we have to allow some people, especially these people who have small businesses, and a lot of these businesses have just been created right out of COVID, right? So there's a lot of, and I can say even me, I have a long way to go in entrepreneurship. Like, um, but some of these people are just starting out, or some of these people might have haven't been in business that long, and they just might not know, or they might make a mistake. Now, if somebody is flat out wrong in terms of their customer service or how they are approaching customers or how they're doing their business, I listen, they need to, you know, get the ramifications of all their consequences, right? But when you have so many black businesses that want to do the right thing, that are trying their best and that are feeding their families and they might make a mistake. And then this is what I see all the time. As soon as a black business makes a mistake, people go on Facebook or Instagram and bash these businesses, but you won't do that to Target. You won't do that to Walmart. You won't do that to uh, old navy or footlocker right and if you do you're still patronizing these business it's almost like as if we have our own internal cancer cancel culture within supporting black businesses whereas if they make one mistake then you no longer support them when they're just starting or they 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 just don't know i always put myself in a position to give people grace especially black businesses why because i understand i was that 
and uh, to a certain extent, I still am that, right? I'm only about six years in, right? I still am that to a certain extent. So it's easy for me to communicate my issues with a Black business. Now, that's if I have an issue with a Black business, because the majority of Black businesses that I work with have impeccable customer service. And now also, I want to say that I hate the fact that we that there is this stereotype with the whole black business and customer service thing because at the end of the day, people are going to be people. I don't care if you're black, black, white, red, brown, purple, whatever. If people do good business, they do good business. If people do bad business, they do bad business, and they should be um, and they should get the consequences as such. But you know, I say that to say, you know, I'm in a position where if something goes wrong in the black with a with with um, someone of my culture who was running running their business, I am always in a position to communicate. I always let them know what's going on, and I try to be in a position to help, as opposed to bashing them as soon as I get on social media or you know, however that goes, right? Because we just need to be in a space where we're collaborating more with one another and just communicating more with one another. So I absolutely hate that stereotype. And I hope that anybody who's listening, just please be in a space to communicate and give black businesses a little bit more grace as opposed to just come having one bad experience and then coming and bashing them on social media. That's just not cool. I hate it. I don't like it at all. Man, I appreciate your your uh, candor and, and and being so upfront, and and I agree with you. I mean, I think that anybody who is out here who has a business that is legitimately just trying to to do an honest day's work, as they say, uh, feed their family, you know, live live their life, you know, and and contribute to their community, to the society, and all of that. Uh, we ought to, you know, support number one, uh, if, if anything, and I keep going back to this, but, but the pandemic situation has really taught us, I believe, or should be teaching us, perhaps is, is a better way to put it, uh, that we are all one human family, that we are all interconnected, no matter what we think uh, about how different we are. At the end of the day, we're all here on this planet, and we're all living here. We're all, uh, you know, unless unless uh, Elon gets his, his shuttle to Mars, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, this is this is it, right? So this is what we have, and you, you know, a couple key things there that I think you you alluded to was one um, that that people make mistakes. We're human. I mean, come on, we're not now we're not talking about mm -hmm. going out there and doing something dirty and, and underhanded and all of that. No, but I think the, the thing is, is that most business owners, most business owners are out there just trying to make an honest living, trying to do sell a product or a service and and just be a decent business person. And they might make a mistake here and there that something may fall through. You may have an employee that, you know, something happened that day. Uh, and I think that as human beings, we, I agree with you, we have to be, uh, afford people a little bit of grace, we have to be a bit understanding, uh, and, and, and use a bit of discernment to see between, is this just a, a business that's out here doing bad things, or is this a, an honest mistake, um, like you said. And then, yeah, I mean, how many times have you picked up a product or something from a store and found out that it wasn't you know quite right or quite as as what you expected and then you went mm -hmm. and returned it i mean if you ever been to the return lane at, at walmart and it's ridiculous come on man like like <laughs> people are lying it's the pandemic people are lined up at walmart still mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so 
Um, so with that said, yeah, man, I think that, that again, you know, tremendous insight. I appreciate it so much and having this conversation. We're going to take a, a quick break, uh, go back to my man, the ambassador, uh, with his song of the week. He's going to drop it for you right now. As you hear in the song, he's saying it's an honest dollar he's trying to earn. Why would anybody stop it? Just based on the question that we just received. People are human. People are out here trying to make their work and feed their families. If they're making an honest dollar, support them. Support the businesses, especially the small businesses, especially black-owned businesses. If we're a community, let's build. You heard it right here on the Accomplice Podcast. That's my man, the ambassador, bringing it to you through the music. That's why we call him the ambassador, because... He, he's bringing the knowledge, he's bringing the love, uh, he's bringing the culture to you through the music. And uh, love having you on the show, brother. Um, so, my guest, Malcolm Coley, the man, Lock Nation, Futures First Gaming, and just all around. I, I'm excited to see the next five years for you, man. I, I just, I can't even begin to explain it. Uh, because when That's we... all I be thinking about sometimes. The next five years for me is, I'll be 40 in five years. Hey man, and 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 you're gonna be amazing. Like, well, you already are amazing, but like, like I can't even explain it. Like, like when I first met you, and and we talked about all the things that you have your hands on, and the and the great work that you're doing. I mean, Futures First is just so incredible. Uh, the the mission that you guys are working on, because it's not just gaming, a gaming company. This is reaching the youth, and it's and it's inspiring young people. Uh, and all of that, and we'll have to have you back on the show just to talk about all of that aspect uh, in the future because uh, it is such a, an insightful and an intriguing um, path that you're on just with that one company. But today, we're talking about dispelling the myths of black, black entrepreneurship, and uh, Malcolm Coley is my guest, and, and I, I can't think of anybody better than this gentleman who uh, is, is he talked about early on in the show, going from being in a corporate job to now, uh, you know, co-developer, owner, guru, all the way around in, in multiple companies. And so, like I said, man, I'm really excited to see uh, what the future holds for, for you and these endeavors that you're, you're working on now. Um, let's, let's get into another question here in terms of dispelling the myths about black entrepreneurship. So here we go. So Malcolm, is dealing with a white client different than dealing with a black client? And if so, how? Um, no, because as I alluded to, you know, in, in terms of um, understanding cultural nuances, yes, maybe. But at the end of the day, people are still people. And you should pe treat people as such. So if somebody approaches my establishment and they want to get the knowledge of my expertise, I treat them exactly the same as a uh as a black person right i think that we get i think sometimes that we get too caught up in trying to be um have these cultural nuances whereas like we might lose out on something great uh if we try to if we focus too much on it right um so you know in in my experiences in 
with the things that I've been doing these past, you know, six, seven years, um, I, I treat people, I, like I said, I will always be 100% relentless and unapologetically black, right? So my people, um, I, I'm always going to, because I am black, right? So I'm always going to lean towards my people, right? But at the end of the day, as you said yourself, you know, we do, ha we have many, many, many accomplices, right? And I want to make and we can't do this alone right there's no way that me as a as a black man in america can do all the things that i would like to do without having accomplices right so and because i have that in my mind and because i understand and know that i treat everybody i treat everybody exactly the i, I treat everybody exactly the same now where there'd be a little bit of extra when i'm with one of my brothers Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It would be a little, you know, extra um, fist bump, a fist bump here, extra handshake there, you know, but at the end of the day, I want to treat everybody the same exact way because you don't know, any, you don't know somebody's story. You don't know where somebody's been. And also relationships is so key. And I know we could talk about relationships for a whole episode, but relationships is so key. You just never know what this person might be able to teach you or possibly this what this person might know to help catapult you to another level. So it's very, very, very important to treat your relationships the way that you would want your relationships to treat you. You know that you know how they say your uh, your network is your net worth. It's so cliche, but it's so real. It's so real. So the more people that you treat the right way, and you keep them in your network, and you treat your relationships the right way, the further you'll go in life. And I know that for a fact. Well, you know what, Malcolm, I, I really want to go a little bit further into that concept. And, and, and I agree with you 100%. We could do a whole show. I, I think you are probably two, three, four episodes. So Jay, my, my co-producer, hey, we, we need to get this brother's calendar and, and we need to book him for, for at least a couple, couple more. But that said, um, you, you mentioned networking and relationships. Uh, Man, if there's one area that in my life, you know, when, when people say oh, at a certain age, you know, if you could go back and tell your 18 or 20 year old self something, if there's one thing that would be so important and so critical to me, uh, that is probably on my top three list is the understanding of network uh, and relationships in, in career and business uh, and that sort of thing. You mentioned earlier things like mentors and, and we hear a lot of buzzwords cliche like having mentors and sponsors and all these sorts of things. But just just for a moment, I'd like to explore this, this idea of networking with you because I find, and when I talk to maybe some people that are in the younger generation, there's oftentimes this idea of independence well i want to get it on my own and i want to do for myself and all that and which is which is wonderful you have to have the work ethic and and all of that i i know for me personally um i came from a working class family and, and what i was taught essentially about being successful was in order to be successful you have to work really really hard and that was pretty much it there wasn't anything more than you know working hard and, and and i watched my dad work hard till he was in his early 70s still had a business you know uh and he did okay but what i started to realize and, and as i watched him as i watched other people who attained other levels of success that yes work ethic absolutely paramount but it's not the only ingredient and networking, I did not get this when I was younger. Just being totally transparent here, when I was like in my 20s and even into my early 30s, I think 
I, I still was of that mindset. Okay, I just got to go out here and grind, 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 and work two, three, four jobs, and you know, whatever. Um, oh yeah, that ain't it. <laughs> but but I still kept coming up short, right? And once I learned that power of relationships with people in business and networking, then that's when things I, I saw things start to shift. And and um, you know, and there's some other ingredients in there too. But let's just for a moment, if you will. At what point for you in your life, you, you mentioned your mid-30s, okay, at what point did you begin to understand that networking was a key aspect to what you needed to do as a business person? And, and, and then what were some of the steps that you took to really ensure that you were starting to build the right type of network for yourself? Um, man, that's, that's, that's interesting that you said that. Um... I think because of my personality, by default, I always network, right? Um, I, I'm I'm a very I'm a very extroverted person, right? And I think what happens is that people who tend to be extroverts and leveraged in the right way, they can go very far. Uh, but you know, right? As soon as I as soon as I got to college, I can remember being in so many different organizations. Whereas, out, and this is outside of Alpha, right? Being in so many, I was in the chemistry club, you know what I mean? Uh, I was in SBA, I was in, uh, I was in, I was in entities that didn't even have anything to do with what I was doing in college, right? Like, you know, I, of course I had my, when I was at Seton Hall, I had, I hung with all the black kids because that's what I was and that's what I was comfortable around. But it was at that moment where I understood that and this is real. I'm gonna be super transparent right now. When I was in high school, coming into college, I was so—I don't want to say I was so sheltered, but it was just a lot of things that I didn't know. Um, I didn't even know what fraternities and sororities were. I didn't. I thought the only type of Hispanic person that existed were Puerto Ricans and Mexicans. I didn't know anything about the Caribbean culture because that's just not where I came from. So once I got to college and understanding that the world is such a big and vast place, I wanted to learn and understand more. Um, so college for me was a place where I networked my behind off. Number one, my, my major, just me being in my major, um, being a chemist, um, I was in classrooms and I was having conversations that a lot of my peer groups weren't having, right? Um, and as I got out of college and I started to actually be working that I started to get into the corporate jobs I understood that hey it's not about it. another cliche term it's not about what you know it's about who you know right but I understood that being that that whole treating people the right way type thing was key because you know you know hey maybe you let's go let's go to lunch real quick let's let's just go go talk about some stuff right or hey maybe I might bring this person something that they like um, because I know that this person is connected with that person and they'll put a good word in for me if, you know, I treat this, this relationship the right way. So literally, as soon as I got out of college and I started to get into the workforce and I, under, and I understood that I had to navigate this world, um, you know, that's when I understood the power of networking because a couple of my jobs I wouldn't have had unless it wasn't for frat, right? So frat got me a couple of jobs that I had coming out of college. And if I didn't know this person, and if I didn't have the right relationship with this person, I wouldn't be at that job. So definitely coming out of college, going into corporate, and then entrepreneurship-wise, oh man, I had moved from New Jersey to Delaware. And coming down here to Delaware, I didn't know a soul. 
I knew I did not know anybody coming down here to Delaware. <clears throat> so I literally used to go to parties. I used to go to bars. I used to go to lounges. And I just used to talk to whoever would talk to me. Um, and as that progressed, um, a couple of people at my job pointed me to a couple of other people who were doing some major stuff here in, um, <clears throat> here in Delaware. And from there, it just spiraled and kept going. Um, being here in Delaware, relationship, they call it the Delaware way, right? Where you can, I can literally on my phone right now, I could call the mayor of Wilmington. I could call the governor. I could call county execs. I could call influencers in Delaware. And um, if I wasn't in a position to understand the power of networking, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I, I think Delaware is a very unique place in uh, celebrating relationships. So, you know, college and coming here to Delaware was two of the times where I was like, yo, relationships and networking is critical to what I'm trying to do in my life. You're listening to the Accomplice Podcast, my guest, Malcolm Coley, and we are talking about the myths, or dispelling the myths, uh, about black entrepreneurship, but it is time for another quick break. Our musical genius, guru, DJ, The Ambassador. Why you getting is a competition? Why we carry on one mission? I want them to hear the words I'm a song. The words I'm a song. It's all wrong for all of So once again, you hear the message of the song. He's talking about why does everything have to be a competition? Why does everything have to be a situation where we're trying to buck with each other or whatever? It's like, no. We can all get along. There's enough room for all of us. We build together. Again, this is a huge topic to talk about, Black entrepreneurship, and just really getting the word out there and supporting one another. So that's my song. That's the ambassador. Uh, with another cut coming at you, and uh, and we'll hear more from him each and every week as he brings us the best of soca, reggae, Afrobeats, and a lot more from the African diaspora. And and just thematically, you know, that's what we try to do here is tie the message together um, and, and expand. Like you know, my guest Malcolm, you were saying that uh, you know you hadn't had as much of an introduction to say the Caribbean community uh, as a young person, and then going to university and, and you know, you get uh, exposed to a broader spectrum of, of people out there. And so it just really broadens your horizons. Um, we're gonna go into the, the last segment, man, uh, which is our rapid fire segment. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you a uh, series of questions, or in this case, I'm gonna pose a series of uh, myths, basically, about black owned businesses and black entrepreneurship and I'm going to give you uh, 30 seconds to answer each question. So we've got four questions. We give you 30 seconds to answer answer each one to the best of your ability. So you ready, man? Yes, sir. All right. So the first question: uh, Black-owned businesses overcharge for their products and services. Nah, they charge exactly what they're supposed to be charges. If they know what their product and service could do for the people, then they need to charge appropriately and don't ask for no discounts neither. <laughs> All right. So uh, number two, black entrepreneurs only excel in beauty, fashion, or food. Absolutely not. Now, there's a low barrier to entry in those in a lot of those industries that you uh, mentioned. So that's why black people tend to thrive in those in those industries 
industries because there's a low barrier to entry. But I've seen so many amazing black people in finances, especially technology, um, architecture, construction, all types of cool stuff. So we excel in every single uh, every single industry that you put us in, we're going to excel. All right, number three, if you're black and wealthy, it's because you sold out your community. Oh my gosh, that is just, that's terrible. Um, I People out here really actually work hard. People out, out here are really super duper smart. It's people out here that understand how to um, delegate and utilize their teams. And it's people out here who know how to execute their mission and their plan. So uh, yeah, the people who are wealthy and have made it to the top, listen, there's a reason why they made it to the top. So I, I, I always salute those people because they got something that I don't have. And finally, um... This is our, our, our last myth we're going to talk about in terms of black entrepreneurship uh, and, and uh, buying uh, products and services from black businesses. People say it's too difficult to buy black on a consistent basis. Um, hmm. Yes and no. So... In terms of the some of the industries that you mentioned, beauty, food, um, you know, contracting, right? Yes. But then when we talk about, you know, maybe a black farmer, those are few and far between, right? Maybe a black person who owns a steel manufacturing company. I don't even know if that exists, right? So um, there are a lot of, a lot more understanding that, things that black people need to be into so that we can actually have these products and services for the people. But there's a lot of things that we don't have that we need to be into that if we were, we will be in a better position where we can be 100% black. There you have it. That's our rapid fire section, our last segment of the day uh, on the Accomplice podcast with my guest, Malcolm Coley. From Lock Nation and Futures First Gaming, Malcolm, again, just thank you so much, man, for your insight, your candor, uh, and, and your wisdom. Um, you know, any final thoughts before we we go? Um, spending black matters. Spending black matters. So please, if anybody who's listening, if you have an opportunity to spend black, go and spend black. Uh, if you have the opportunity to, you know give feedback to a black business, give positive, constructive feedback to a black business. Um, you know, do your ones and your twos. Make, go out here and make shit pop, man. Like, you know, you only got one life, so live it the best way that you can. Right on. So there it is from the man himself. Like I said, w- watch the next five years, this young man, <laughs> Malcolm Coley. You heard it here on the Accomplice Podcast. I'm telling you, Malcolm Coley Futures First Gaming and Lock Nation. Look, you don't have to believe me. Go on his social media. 250,000 followers believe what he's, he's got. So, you know, you don't have to take it from me. Malcolm, uh, thank you so much. As always, thank you to the ambassador for a great musical selection of the week. Uh, to my co-producer, Jay Harris, and the rest of the crew here. This has been another episode of the Accomplice Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.